1: Everyone, you are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Destra, and we have our favorite Monday guest, Taryn Hatcher, on with us as well. We're going to have some fun on this Flyers Talk podcast. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to you and happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving weekend, Uh, but we're going to get into it. We have a bit of a fun one-year anniversary, uh, so to speak, This is the Monday one-year anniversary of Ivan Provorov's crazy overtime winner against the Canadians, November 30th. Uh, I think everyone was kind of taken aback by that goal. It was that nasty. I don't think anyone really knew Ivan Provorov had that in his bag of tricks, but it was a filthy goal against the Canadians, and it really capped a special November by the Flyers. They went 10-2-4 in that month. They had an NHL-best 24 points in November. And that was kind of a sight for sore eyes because the Flyers over their previous five Novembers had gone 23, 29, and 14. Uh, So that was a big November by the Flyers capped by a big, crazy goal by Ivan Provarov. Taryn, you were there live. Just how cool is that to see on hand?
2: Uh, It was awesome. It felt like it was like a slam dunk contest shot. It wasn't an overtime, Goal. It it felt like it was something completely different, especially out of Ivan. Like, that was, we were at that point only at that point, like two months into this NHL season. It was still pretty young. And Ivan had had a really rough 2018, 2019. He gained a ton of confidence really fast. And it, it, I think it showed in that point of that game that this guy not only grew, but he took a massive leap.
1: Taryn, where were you? Do you remember, like, what was your vantage point? Give, uh, if you can give the listeners where you were in the arena in Montreal when you saw that goal.
2: So the fun part about my job is that at the end of each game, you have to disappear and go get ready for your interview. So I actually get to watch it on a TV the size of about a laptop screen um, right next to the dressing room um, in La Centre Belle. Uh, in the bell center and um you know our program isn't delayed or it's it really shouldn't be the transmission shouldn't be but you could kind of hear people react just a split second before it came through on the television and so at first you could hear it was it was one of those things where the fan it's not their fan base so it's not like everybody's screaming it's kind of like oh and and everyone was so shocked by it that when it came through the TV, it was like, what's about to happen? Um, and it was, it was just awesome. It was such a cool moment, um, even to be kind of in the underbelly away from the main action of it all. Had, had I been out by the ice, I'm sure I would have been like deafened in that moment because that is the loudest, the loudest arena based on fan noise, I would say, anywhere in the league. Vegas has the loudest speakers, but the people and the noise they produce – Nowhere compares to the Bell Center.
1: That's tremendous. We know Montreal is definitely crazy about their hockey, about Canadians. Um, So, yeah, very cool venue to see Ivan Provrov do that. Brooke, just how crazy was that goal to you? Uh, For the fans that are listening, I'm sure you remember it, but Provrov went through his legs. What I really loved about it was you could hear someone on the Flyers bench, and I believe it was probably Kevin Hayes shouting, forward, Provy, forward, because he knew he had a forward basically playing Defense and that's a a good opportunity to expose him. Brooke, boy, did he expose that forward.
3: So there were two times in 2019 where I was in the car and I missed huge, huge (laughs) things happening in sports. And it was this overtime goal, which I just pulled into my driveway and I was (laughs) fuming because I heard Timmy screaming on the radio and it was Bryce Harper's walk-off Grand Slam. Oh, in the yes. blue so when I tell you the fact that that goal happened in the car, I was fuming. So I was like, Oh crap. Oh crap. I got to get out of my car. I run inside. I run into my living room, throw the TV on and it's just in time for the uh, walk off interview with Taryn. And I just remember watching the replay and going, he was possessed by Connor McDavid. I don't know how, but it was. And it just, it was one of those things and moments in Ivan Provorov's career where you understand and realize that he is an offensively forward defenseman because of the fact that he can pull this out of nowhere when it's needed and kind of just take charge, especially when he has that confidence going. So it was so much fun. I wish I watched it live. I regret it, but I also think it's so much fun to Hear the variations of when exciting moments happen on the radio versus um, on on TV. So
2: but always we, tune in to the NBC Sports Philadelphia broadcast. regardless. oh yes, <laughs> oh, yes.
3: always. It's the channel is on my TV like clockwork. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I I think it's worth pointing out. It wasn't any. It wasn't just like any plain old forward out there and obviously it was overtime so you're putting out your best guys i'm i I haven't watched the video since the day that it happened but i'm almost 100 percent positive that it was it was max domi of all people who was trying to defend ivan proveroff which i'm sure everybody's sort of like yeah it's max domi like get at him, so it adds a little spice to the situation in my opinion
1: as we talked a week after thanksgiving weekend i'm thankful that brooke was in her driveway and able to scurry in and catch taron hatcher's interview on the broadcast with the man himself ivan Proval. it was such a fun interview let's actually give you a glimpse into that interview
2: hey, i ivan behind the back between the lights are the game winner what made you think i'm gonna do this right now uh
3: I had some room, I had some speed, and uh, I thought it was a forward playing D, so uh, I figured I might try it.
2: All that in that span of time, you went through all of that?
3: Yeah, just, uh, I mean, you, you try those moves in practice, and, uh, you know, when an opportunity comes in the game, you, you know, you should not be afraid to try it, and over time, a little bit more room, and uh, I tried it, and it worked.
2: Ivan justifiably is our Chevy player of the game. You guys tie a franchise record for points in the month of November with the win you got tonight. I mean, what is it that's allowed you to handle the type of workload you've had this month and collect points, even if they're not wins these overtime games?
3: I think just, uh, you know, how tight of a group we have. Uh, you know, everyone wants to battle for each other, you know, do everything that, you know, that they can to help the team win. And, you uh, just staying with it you know there's a lot of games where we didn't start as well where we were down but uh we just kept playing our game and uh, kept pushing and you know got the points when we needed to
1: yeah not only was that a filthy highlight reel goal by Ivan Provarov um that was pretty symbolic because it capped off that really special November for the Flyers and Let's be honest. Uh, the Flyers had not been playing well in previous Novembers. We, we, we had grown accustomed to them kind of starting slow through October and November and then playing catch-up and kind of sneaking into the playoffs. This was a new era. It was a new coaching staff, um, a new roster. And boy, did Provo really just punctuate that November. And I think that was, for me, kind of when you, you could sort of feel this season brewing into something much better than what we had seen in years past. Would you agree, Tarim?
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing that always stood out to me was, you know, the year before right around Christmas time, I want to say, it. I think it was right after the Flyers hired Chuck Fletcher and had just asked Ron Hextall is I had interviewed Jake Borachek about basically being in a hole where they would have to outpace their, their point total at a, crazy rate in order to catch up to teams and make it into a wildcard spot in the playoffs. Um, So basically they were so far behind the eight ball in December of 2018 and Jake Borachek and Jake's always really candid. And we're always really grateful for that, even when he's cursing at us, but he was kind of like, we have to stop. This is every year, every year we can't get it together for the first two months. And then, you know, we're chasing it for the rest of the season. We put unbelievable pressure on ourselves And it's just, it's not the way good hockey teams play. And you go from that to, and I know we always bring it up, but as a person who experienced it, I cannot tell you enough how difficult it was. You go from that to in 2019, 2020, they start the year in Prague. They're home for three days. They open, they have their home opener against New Jersey. Then they go to Western Canada. It's like a nine time zone swing. And then they come back and their reward in November is that they play 16 games in a month. And somehow they still managed to, as I mentioned in the clip, set a franchise record for points earned in the month of November. Um, And it was also that, and I remember this so vividly, that the Flyers would get in holes in these games where they're already low on gas from their schedule. They would get in holes in these games where they'd have to pull out wild third periods. And then they would. And that was new. Like We hadn't seen that in a while. I hadn't seen the Flyers team where you go – they're like the little engine that could. You know, you can be – they could be down three goals in the third period and I wouldn't count them out. And I hadn't felt like that as a reporter covering the team or a fan of the team in quite some time. That was very and, – and it was night in, night out. They could be on a back-to-back and you were like, they'll still pull it out. So it really, I think, started to show that this team – at that point, they still didn't have it all together yet. Like Elaine Vigneault even said in the beginning of December, I, I, I hope to know my guys by return from the holiday break. And I think really he knew his guys midway through January. They didn't have it all figured out yet. But they did at that point have a very acute awareness of just their will to win and how far that could take them alone, which – was huge for this team. And I think that's what mattered in the postseason. You know, you look at that Islanders series, the spirit of the Flyers throughout the season was very similar to how they were throughout that Islanders series. You don't know how they took that series that far because at times they were thoroughly being outplayed, but they just, they have a certain will. And I think they established that will in that November month of that season.
1: Yeah, I think that's when they started shaping their identity. But like you said, Taryn, they weren't, They did not have everything figured out yet. We know that for sure. Um, I remember Alain Vigneault saying that. He said his Rangers team, his year one in New York, when they went to the Stanley Cup that year, uh, he said that team didn't figure it out until Christmas. And I remember him saying like, hey, don't, you know, that happened at Christmas and we went to the Stanley Cup that year. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Uh, But I definitely think that was when they started shaping their identity and Proverov certainly put a stamp on that month. Uh, Brooke, when was it for you where you started sensing this team could do something? Um, I actually think for you, Brooke, it was before the season even started.
3: Yeah, so I was always very high on this Flyers team before the season even kicked off because I said from the jump that they were going to make the playoffs comfortably. And, of course, you're going to get those fans, which is understandably so, that are going to hit you with, really, it's going to be the same thing that it's been for the past 44, 45 years, blah, 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 blah. You know, tail is all this time. Um,
1: (laughs) Yada, yada, yada. yada,
3: (laughs) Exactly. But for me, I really started to see a shift in optimism for flyers fans in november for me personally the game that kind of set things in stone actually took place at the end of october when they faced columbus and they came back in that third period and just completely blew them away and i remember i was working in the office i wasn't in the press box for that game Mm -hmm. and i remember hearing the thing and our office is pretty soundproof for the most part you can hear the goal horn but you can't really hear fans for the most part. When I tell you, when they started that comeback in the third period, I have not heard that center, aside from probably the home opener that we talked about a few times with the Devils and Carter Hart's first uh, professional shutout. That was just the craziest atmosphere. And I remember looking at this team and I was like, they would have never done this in the previous season or two they would have came out in the third period and it's like all right let's let's get through the next 20 minutes there was no fight when they would come out in the third period already trailing already with the sense of defeat they're like all right let's just get to the next game let's get to the next game they came out and they're like all right we're coming back and we're going to win it and you've never seen that kind of sense of urgency from this team in the previous two years so for me that was october 26th the month of november solidified it I think for a lot of flyers fans as i mentioned where they just started watching different ways that this team learned to win games they never gave up different people were stepping up and taking charge taking that next step in their careers and it was just oh my gosh like that month in november i think is something personally that i'll never forget covering for the team because in my young life That was probably one of the most fun months that I've ever watched them play.
2: It was the, oh, wait, are we good? Month. That's what it was. It was, wait. Yes. Are we good? I think we're good. Yeah. And then they came back from the Christmas break and they went to California and everybody was like, no, we're not good anymore.
3: (laughs) Right. I just brushed aside. (laughs) I, I always ignore the West Coast road trip because it's either like, the the knife in the back it's the end of the season or it's just kind of like well as a
2: person who got very ill on that road trip Mm -hmm. everyone was incredibly ill jones or jj was ill tim saunders was ill i was ill the players were ill at one point i remember being in an elevator and it was me and robert haig and both of us were like don't come near me i'm sick and (laughs) And I was like, dude, same here. And he was literally like, I feel like I'm lightheaded. And we're in and out, ele- like we're just standing in an elevator. So West Coast road trip doesn't really, I mean, it counts, but like, who cares? But yeah, November, November was, yeah, Brooke, I had the same feeling. It was like, I think Flyers fans were finally comfortable saying to other fans, you know, because everybody has their diehards in Philly. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, it's kind of been like, not for a long time, for a while, it's been the the Sixers had like hope and potential in the process and the Eagles had just won um, a Super Bowl and the Phillies signed Bryce Harper and all this stuff. And I think it was the first month where we sit there and we go like, are we maybe like the better team in the city right now? (laughs) I think that that month gave everybody belief.
1: Tis the season to thrill at the Nissan Year End Sales Event. Get in, then get out, and experience the most riveting ride of the year in a brand new Nissan. These savings on Nissan's lineup are sure to raise your pulse. Well, yes, we definitely know November was full of highlights, and it turned out Ivan Provorov's highlight reel really was long. the season to
3: thrill. You could What's say, <laughs> <laughs> but um,
1: <laughs> exactly what Taryn said. Said it perfectly. And it turned out to be one of many highlights for a very promising, positive 2019-20 Flyers season. So we thought, why not relive some of those other highlight reel plays or moments of the season that we found memorable? Provrovs was certainly right up there, probably near the top. But Taryn, let's start with you. What was another highlight for you that you certainly have not forgotten?
2: Um, well, well, I talk about it a lot. So the, the Bruins uh, shootout win – where Marshan, Marshawn, however he's pronouncing his name at this point in the pandemic, um, whiffed. I will never not enjoy that. That was just like poetic justice on a different level. And then it's not really like specifically. Oh, you know, well, there's so many. Uh, yeah, was so Nico Q Cubell getting a Gordie Howe hat trick and then interviewing him after that, and he basically has no. It's not. I don't think he has any understanding of the magnitude of it. He just is like was not overwhelmed by the, I guess, the feat of achieving a Gordie Howe hat trick. He was just very like, "Yes, I don't understand your question, but it's fun." And I was like, "That was great. I really enjoyed that." And then it was just the um, it, it's not so much a moment, but the the run where the Flyers beat. The Capitals, they beat the Bruins, they beat the Blues, and I know they lost to Tampa in there, but they played fairly well against Tampa. That stretch of games, for me, was so much fun to be a part of because you realized that this team, like, just – they did have what it was going to take to not only make the postseason but be a team to watch for in in the Eastern Conference – and, you know, everybody says it. And I think they turn to that, that kind of two-week period of time when they think about it is that um, had the pause not happened, we, I think we all believe the postseason would have gone differently and more favorably for the Flyers. And I think a lot of people, their reasoning for that and their belief in that and my belief in that is that kind of two-week span in January where you go like, holy mackerel, this is a good team with a great coach and a good – compilation of assistant coaches and a great goaltending situation. Like all these things that flyers fans have been waiting for for years. You didn't just think you had them. You, you knew you had them. So that was a really special, it's not a moment, but those two weeks were really like eye-opening for me.
1: Yeah. That's when you definitely could sense a different, like electricity and a different vibe uh, in the Wells Fargo center around the team. Um, It really started bubbling there. And that was, yeah, sure. That was a, really, really fun time. Um, it almost seems like forever ago. And let's be real, it's coming up close to a year actually when that started uh, started building and whatnot. We could
2: be starting the next NHL season on the anniversary of had. that, but yeah. we will touch on that later.
1: <laughs> yes, that is crazy to think about. Seriously, mind-blowing. Uh, Brooke, for you, what was your highlight um, aside from the Ivan Provarov game winner?
3: So I guess I'm just going to keep roasting the Blue Jackets in this (laughs) podcast. Um, So we're looking to end of February, uh, Kevin Hayes' overtime goal uh, where he, you know, belted himself as the champion, um, which is probably my favorite selly in addition to my favorite moment of the season because, and I know I also talk about this at Nausea on this podcast, I love the transition of fans who disliked Kevin Hayes to him instantly becoming this fan favorite the second half of the season. I loved it. I adored it. And you know Kevin Hayes embraced it. But I think that that was just – it was important for the Flyers and the aspect of it. it was the first time that they swept the Blue Jackets in franchise history. So I think that put a mark on being able to hone in on these divisional opponents and these games where you sh- they're expected to win they were winning these little, like, trap games, essentially, where if they lost all four, what are the odds that they ended second in the Metropolitan Division? Not that likely. Just last season, you can compare the two records to what it was in the Metropolitan. And I think that was just kind of the icing on the cake. And everyone kind of knew it at that time. It was like, all right. Granted, the Blue Jackets have had Bobrovsky, Bobrovsky, It's Bobrovsky. There it is. Um, Bob, (laughs) they've had, they had him for a significant amount of time, which, you know, he played lights out against the Flyers because of, you know, reasons that are not pleasant for the Flyers. (laughs) But um, it was really great to see how they did a 180 transformation against these certain trap teams, divisional opponents and you know, making that mark in franchise history and being able to sweep that with such an exhilarating moment with Kevin Hayes. I think it's it solidified my favorite, my favorite moment in the season or one of them. There were a lot of fun moments this year.
2: Was that the, I, I'm, I know I'm getting confused here. Was that the, the Blue Jackets game that was the first time the Flyers won? Or no, because that was overtime. Earlier in the season, they won in regulation in Columbus, and it was the first time they won in regulation in Columbus since Jeff Carter was a rookie.
1: Yeah, I remember that one, and, and yeah. this one is not
2: that I, I, I remember That was another that highlight for me. And it's I remember crazy. interviewing Claude Drew afterwards, and he was like, wow, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> I said <just> that <laughs> on TV. And
3: I was like. Just I the less he's always time,
2: appreciated here.
3: <laughs> the lesser times that we need to hear that cannon go off, the better.
2: Yeah. It's so, so irritating.
3: It's so annoying. It's so bad. And,
2: and their fans tweet at me all the time because after the first time that I did sideline there, I was like, I cannot stand this stupid cannon, Whatever. <laughs> and uh, and they were just like, win some games and you won't be- hear it. So like you can win a game seven six and you still have to hear it six times. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not yeah. only
1: shot off when uh, when the Columbus wins the game. It's um when they score a goal, I believe. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's yeah, nonstop. It, it's yeah. at the
2: beginning of the game. So yeah. stupid. If, if anybody's listening, Columbus, I have tremendous respect for you and your hockey club. <laughs> your cannon's so stupid.
1: <laughs> what was so pretty st- funny about that Kevin Hayes winner that Brooke mentioned? Um, was obviously the celebration, but I believe we all remember uh, caught on camera. It looked like Travis Konecny had some uh, parting words for I believe it was Savard uh, of the Blue Jackets. <laughs> fans, if you haven't seen it, go watch the clip. We want to we won't spoil it for you, but uh, that was that was a fun fun game. Uh, for me, my highlight, um, one that I think is a little forgotten because it was a little earlier in the season, but it was. Sean Couturier's shootout winner against the Devils on November 1st and what made it I thought very special and fun and memorable and uh, certainly a highlight was that Couturier had only taken three face-offs in that game and we all know that is unheard of for him he will take far more than three in any game and it turned out he was dealing with a shoulder injury and the Flyers were trying to limit his face-offs and everyone's realized that as we were watching the game, we're like, why is Couturier only taking 3 faceoffs?" Well, what do you know in the shootout, he scores the shootout winner in which he put on a really nice move. He, he went to his left and then sort of quietly backdoored it to his right. It was just a nasty goal. And to do that injury with a shoulder injury, I think just said everything about Sean Couturier. He didn't care that his shoulder was hurt. He was still able to pull up that move. I believe they called that the Forsberg move. And it was just such a, a silky goal and to find out that he had been dealing with a shoulder injury and couldn't take face-offs and still went out there and did that, I thought it was just very quiet, quiet, short Sean Couturier at his best, uh, not talking about his injury and going out there and just putting on moves that put us in awe. So that was a fun one for me.
2: A silky goal from the silky Trophy winner, the Ooh. piano man himself. I Ooh, like that. Love tro- it. That's <laughs> what I say. Hot!
1: Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But yes, plenty of fun ones there. I love that. The fun the fun uh, run that they had through January into February. Uh, Brooks, Kevin Hayes, belt celebration. We all now love that in Philadelphia. And then Sean Couturier's shootout winner with an injury. Fun times for the Flyers in 2019-20.
3: I think one of the biggest things about once we hit that new year was the part that everybody was watching this team and they weren't like okay there's a chance they're gonna win it there's a chance that they can come back and win this game there was confidence and that's what made me so excited for this season because of the fact that you went into every single game and you were like all right they're gonna win it they're gonna do it unless something ridiculous happens which it did happen time and time again you have those fluke kind of games that blow out lost by the devils I don't want to talk about but they came back the next game and they beat the Capitals away, which was something that was not expected after the Devils. So they kept finding ways to prove why they were different from previous years. And uh, I just love it. It was it was all so much fun. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help.
1: It was a lot of fun indeed, Brooke. And a player that helped make the season pretty fun was Michael Raffle. As we all know, everyone knows Michael Raffle now. We know how long he's been in Philadelphia. And he just... Goes about his business. No matter where he is in the lineup, he can play on your first line, your second line, your third line, your fourth line. Heck, he's played center. He's played winger. And he's always just solid, 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 solid. And the reason why we bring up Michael Raffles is recently he was put on loan to a team in Austria, his home country. It's the team that he had played for uh, in years past before he became a flyer and came to the NHL. We understand the loans process very differently uh, – very different than years past, obviously, with the pandemic – Within the CBA, there is uh, players are allowed to be loaned to uh, different uh, teams in different countries. Excuse me, um, where they can play during this stoppage, during this break, um, and you know, get work in, get work in, play, stay ready, and then obviously they are allowed to come back and play for their teams in their home in the U.S. uh, Whether it's the AHL or the NHL, and so we'll start seeing that once the NHL resumes and once hopefully the AHL picks back up their season. Uh, we'll see a lot of these players come back. But Michael Roffel recently loaned to a team in Austria, and he will, you know, get ready for the NHL season. But, Brooke, can you kind of break down for what this loan exactly means? And could it be almost a telling loan for when the NHL season could could pick back up?
3: Sure. So I feel like this was one of these moments where on the surface you're just kind of like, oh, right, because of the crazy year the 2020 has been, you think that Raffle's just going to go and play in his home country for a little bit to keep his, you know, to keep going, to keep his um, energy training to be game ready, essentially. And then I remember kind of just sitting back and I'm like, wait, let's look at the timeline right now because we're about to hit December. And there's always been this talk since the NHL draft back in October where it was, all right, our anticipated an ideal start date for the next season is going to be New Year's. Now, whether or not it's going to be New Year's Day, is going it's, it's still up in the air. We really haven't heard anything. I still, frankly, don't believe they're not going to play until the end of January at the earliest. But this kind of move might be more telling than we think, like you said, Jordan, because of the fact of the timeline. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to send Michael Raffle to Austria for two and a half weeks and then bring him back, he's going to have to quarantine before starting training camp with the Flyers if they were to start in the beginning of January. It seems very unlikely, very unrealistic. So while, and honestly, this is just pure speculation right now because we don't know anything, anything. But this is just my general idea is that we may not have a season as soon as some people think we do. And that move might be a little indication of that.
1: No, sure. And I understand Michael Roffel. He, you know, stays in his home country in Austria and he's going to play for a team that he knows he's familiar with. And he's probably thinking the same. Hey, we're not totally sure when this thing's going to pick back up. Uh, I don't live close to the United States or close to my, my, my NHL's home city. Uh, Let's stay ready. Let's stay ready and getting games and play Uh, what better way to simulate game shape and be ready for a season than actually playing games in Austria. But you're right, Brooke, it, it really seems like a, uh, an indicator that January 1 is nearing uh, – we're, we're heading into December right now as we, as we speak on this podcast. Um, it, it's looking like January 1 might not be as likely, and Michael Roffle's understanding that, and he's saying, let's, let's get to, with a team and start playing. Taryn, do you feel like that that could be the case, Is that January 1 It just seems less and less likely?
2: January 1, and I, I don't know this as fact set in stone – from any source, January one is not happening. No, it's not. I know, I know through the grapevine from very reliable sources that like team staff, generally people who live here, not players, but staff, people who live here full time, work for the team in different capacities, be it trainers and equipment guys, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were told not long ago to be prepared for December 15th training camp situation. But that's not – I've also heard through the grapevine from people who are connected to players, et cetera, that that no player is realistically preparing for December 15th because that is not happening. And if you're not in training camp by December 15th, you're not playing on January 1st. So I don't think that's really like a bomb to drop, but I'm telling you from reliable sources, there was the hope, like as of like 10 days ago – There was the hope and the messaging to the team and the people around the team, especially these people. When you think about it, the players have to follow certain protocols, but it's a lot of these people around the team, the people who are sanitizing things, taking care of players' health, managing the operations of all of it, that really have to be most careful when it comes to adhering to protocol. Those people were told December 15th as a rough date to to be prepared to come back to training camp. That being said, you have players all over the world right now, and depending on what country they live in or where they're going to, they need to be there at least. I mean, if you're going to Canada, I believe the rules still is they want you there and quarantining for 14 days. So if you're Jake Borachek, who obviously plays for the Flyers, but if you're Jake Borachek and, let's say, you play for the Maple Leafs, uh, time's ticking. You need to get to Toronto like because you've, you've got to quarantine before you can go to camp. I also think, and I think this is an obvious observation, what's going on with the NFL right now is not a great mm-hmm. sign for the NHL. And I know they're, they're watching. And, you know, a lot of the people I've talked to have said that, especially when it comes to evaluating how they'll conduct the season, they were watching baseball pretty carefully because baseball opted not to do bubble cities. They have to have multiple games a week. It's not like the NFL where they can push a game to a Tuesday and, you know, you're, you're not, you're not physically dealing with as many games that the NFL plays one game a week. Um, and obviously baseball got their season off. It was expedited, but they got it off and they didn't have to do a bubble the whole time and all of that. That being said, the way things are kicking up right now with the NFL, um, I don't think has people super stoked um, to try to rush to get back to NHL action. Um, especially when there's lots of chatter about vaccines in December and vaccines in January and uh, w- what does that mean for when things start and do all the players have to get them, do none of the players have to get There's a lot of questions that I haven't heard answers to. And, I mean, I interviewed Bill Daly like a month maybe ago. Time's an illusion at this point, but like, <laughs> but I didn't even have these questions then because – I didn't know Moderna and Pfizer were going to roll out in mass potentially in January. So, and that's what Key kind of alluded to was, we don't even know what kind of questions we're going to have to address when the time comes, this is going to be kind of shooting a moving target. Um, but I think, I think we can all safely say that January feels like a very long shot yeah. <laughs> and maybe there's a holiday vehicle up somebody's sleeve, but I don't, I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think you'll see players back in their home cities before holidays.
1: Yeah. You know? and, yeah. Not, and, sorry, Brooke. Yeah, no. And uh, I want to get to Brooke's point. Of, and I guess, like you said, it's just clear, like, not only – I think why maybe we haven't heard as much or really anything curious because not only does the NHL have to outline extensive protocols for when they want the season to resume, not only do they have massive decisions to make on how the season will resume – um, I think they're kind of in a wait-and-see mode, too. Like you said, you're seeing what's transpiring with the NFL. You're seeing some numbers rise. Uh, they they want to see how the pandemic and everything develops. But, Brooke, uh, what did you have to say about next season as well?
3: Well, originally, I just had to say nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll further elaborate on it as well.
1: Very um, thorough. I love that.
3: <laughs> sometimes it's just as simple as a single word. Right. Um, no, but, yeah, like like you guys are saying, it's just – Every single day, you never know how things are going to change and how things are going to adapt. So we're not saying that the NHL is sitting back and just waiting until everything's done and clear and they're like, okay, here's a clear path. There's not going to be a clear path. So they're probably going in day in and day out, adapting, adjusting, having five different scenarios of what's going to happen if the next day something happens that wasn't expected. It's like all these alternative timelines and blah, blah, blah and blah, 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 great analysis, right? Happy Monday, guys. Yada yada yada. blah, blah, blah,
2: but et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Exactly. You get me. But yep. it's just, it's one of those, it's one of those times where it's, it's very fluid and nothing's going to be set in motion. And I think the NFL right now is a, is a prime indicator of that because it seemed like things were going great the first few weeks. And then people are understanding, like people aren't, not everybody, not generalizing things, but, there's a lot of people right now that think that COVID's not a big risk right now, and it's more of a risk now than it was when the pandemic first hit in March. So it's really interesting to see how things happen and how things are going to unfold. Yeah, like you guys are saying, it, there's no New Year's hockey, unless you're watching replays. It's not happening. Well,
2: and think of this, too. We're seeing the Denver Broncos situation, right? For anybody who's listening who missed that, the Denver Broncos' entire QB room is considered at risk for being close to someone who tested positive for COVID. So they tried to have an offensive uh, quality control coach come in who played quarterback at UCF, I believe, at one point in his career. The NFL denied it. The NFL denied to move the game. So they have a practice squad running back who played quarterback at Wake Forest, stepping up and playing quarterback who has to learn an entire playbook in a matter of days and who worked a sales job in October. And you sit there and you go, okay, well, how does that apply? If Brian Elliott tests positive for COVID, do you think Carter Hart's playing? I don't think so. Who's playing goaltender. What does the NHL has to be thinking about this because it's not like slam the NFL. That's not what this podcast is, but the NFL really flunked the test in terms of, their players were actively saying like, can I please have a COVID protocol sheet? I don't know what to do. Training camp is about to start. And basically it was just like, let's not talk about the issue until we have to. And then training camp was like day one and players were like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to be here. What's going on? And now we see with the Denver Broncos situation, I know it's not easy for anybody, but they didn't have a contingency plan for – you know, if you are missing a lineman and like an O lineman, as the Eagles are every game, you, you can kind of <laughs> slide, you can slide, you know, a, a right tackle to the left side or a guard to a tackle position. I, these guys have to adjust and they do, and it's not any easier. But you think about like a QB and you think about a goaltender and these positions, only, only so many guys are really trained to, to play them is it going to be that the emergency goaltender in any building is going to play goaltender?
3: Maybe like, we have a Zamboni driver on standby, like seriously, was it, was it the Canes or Toronto. <laughs>
2: but it's, it's wild. And I'm sure the NHL is sitting here and it's like stoking new questions in their mind where they're just like, we, I mean, I'm sure they've thought of that, but you know, what happens if a guy who got called up test positive and he was just on the team plane and he didn't play with any of the guys, you know, yeah. How, how does any of this work? No one knows. No one has an answer. So if you think they're going to have an answer in 31 days, good for you. You're the ultimate optimist, but I just don't think it's happening. Also, have they even come to an agreement with players for financial compensation yet? No. Nope. Yeah. So, so until until money is shown to people and they agree to the money, it's nobody's playing hockey.
1: Exactly. And that will happen. I, I truly think it will. I don't think anyone's really seriously concerned that it won't. But like you said, that's even the first thing before we even get into – all the protocols did you do you guys know actually who the backup was to the Broncos quarterback the kid from Wake Forest it was Michael raffle no
2: <laughs> stop stop
1: sorry that was all right that was a bad joke <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Taryn's face not Brooks laughing I, I it made me feel good I'm
3: laughing because I don't know what else to do my <laughs> fight or flight response didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But
1: but anyway, Michael Raffle, as we know, he is from Austria. He lives in Austria. So why not go on loan to a team and play? We're going to see that. um, (laughs) We're going to see that, you know, as we know, like, I think that the people like Michael. Don't
2: cut that from the pod. I hate to cut you (laughs) off, Jordan. Ben, don't you cut that from the pod. Don't you (laughs) cut that from the pod. Well, very Jordan needs to learn. Yeah.
1: Very similar to the likes of like Michael Raffel, Jacob Voracek, uh, the fellows in Sweden, Oscar Limbaum, Robert Haig, Eric uh, Eric Gustafson. Uh they will probably be the last people to really kind of trickle back into the facility and be preparing in the U.S. in Voorhees for the season because obviously they live in uh, those different countries that are uh, much tough tuff- much tougher to. Uh, to travel from. So they, and they have places to train there and play. Michael Raffle clearly has a place to play in Austria. He will not be the Broncos backup, but uh, he will be getting ready. And uh, thank you, uh, Brooke, for explaining exactly what that means and Taryn as well. Taryn Hatcher, thank you so much as always for coming on with us on Monday. We love having you. Brooke Desher, thank you so much as always. Love your insight. And a special thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast producer. Thank you. And FireSense, thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and we cannot wait to chat to you next time. This is the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.
2: Tell us what you're thankful for.